we we think we had something locked down and then it, it flips to a completely different way mechanism of explaining something either the outcome um, is very different or the mechanics of explaining something is different mm. and I think we have to be prepared that all these claims that we have all these statements that we have are just we're trying to seek a better model and we're arguing about things to try and get to better claims and, and push it forward and sometimes there's going to be one person that completely disagrees with the herd here and they got it right and we may not find out for a while My name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I've realized over the past 10 years of my research is that anybody who is creating something of value that is significantly different from what has come before is considered crazy. Most of us have a fear, an ingrained fear of going crazy. Uh, so what I'm saying is grab onto that fear, realize that it's there and just go with it because the problems we're going to be facing over the next 20 years require crazy people in order to solve them. So welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest here is Jude Gomilla. He's the CEO of Golden. Uh, he's made 150 investments over his career, and he's the previous co-founder of HeyZap. And we were just talking before we started recording about why you named it Golden. Can you get into that? That's a great question. So um, so it starts with a book uh, called Godel Eshabak. And this book, yeah, I'm not sure if you read it or no. not. Um, it, is, it is a fantastic book that everyone should try and attempt to read. Some of the sections are quite difficult to understand. And it's, just, it's kind of talking about some very deep concepts that lie in possibly philosophy and mathematics. And there's some linkages between mathematics and artwork. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty big slog. You've got to go through thousands of pages or mm. about a thousand pages or so. And it has, it has some interesting proofs on you know, proving out one plus one equals two. Uh, um, so there is this golden thread inside, inside the book, this kind of idea, this golden thread of things linking things together. Um, the second component was, um, and this is also kind of related to the book, but there is there's a mathematician called Godel, and he had this incompleteness theorem, uh, which is fascinating. People should go read about that. And um, that that incompleteness theorem is, is related to, in a sense, Golden's mission to try and map out the world's knowledge. Um, and the, the, the idea that that may be very difficult to do, that may be a kind of problem space where we may not be able to map out everything that's mm. true. Um, we may not be able to get everything in there, so it's going to always be incomplete, mm. um, and that that's that's okay. Um, so there, there's that kind of hidden into the name, and then there's the practical checking of like when you're building a name, well, you need to you need to think about um, all these different variables that uh, consumers or users or you know people interacting with the brand. Um, you got to think about downside. You got to think about upside. You got to think about number of syllables, how repeatable it is, how many mistakes people can make. So the many variables I had to run it against. And then there's the practicality of how do you even go and get golden.com and you know the Twitter handle. I, I got on flights to do this and like went to Golden, Colorado and went on a ski trip and, and went from getting the golden.ai to the golden.co to the golden.com to the, to the Twitter handle and all sorts of stuff in that journey to try and build that brand together. And I wanted to build a brand that was, that was very long. That um, was golden. In its scope. <laughs> Yeah, that was good. That was golden, and and you can you can play it at different levels. It's like this, you know, you can play at this at this uh, uh, simplistic kind of quick level, 
and you can play it at a deeper level. Uh-huh. So it came together actually. Well, um, that's the, I, the when I first started. What before I knew about what it was, it sounds like oh, it's golden. You know, it's like yeah. it's oh, it's like I guess that would be California saying like oh, golden. That's everything. Yeah, and there's some yeah. San Francisco like elements to it. There's uh-huh. some California elements to it. There's uh-huh. there's like global. It just works wherever you are. Mm. Um, so it kind of works on different levels, and I think it's it's. I'm quite pleased with that, how, how that went out. And so yeah. what are you guys doing exactly? So the mission is to try and map out almost every single thing that we think is an entity, something that exists. It's not necessarily an article, um, but it's, an ent- it's describing an entity and describing it primarily for humans, but also making it machine readable. Um, the last 18 years, the best effort of the world and it's, uh, is Wikipedia to build the, the canon of, of knowledge. Mm. There's 6 million articles on it in English and, and um, more in other languages. Um, and it's amazing. It's like one of the best things that, that humans have built. Mm. So, um, however, um, when you start looking into it and you start saying, well, why, why are certain pages not there? Why, why is HelloSign, which just sold the Dropbox for 230 million, why was that deleted from Wikipedia? Mm. Why is the cryptocurrency LISC deleted from Wikipedia? Why is the topic of the safe agreement for future tokens not on there? Mm. Um, why did um, you know various genes that are very interesting have no information about them? Mm. Um, and this, this goes on and on and on. So when you start looking at other efforts to construct um, entity data sets, you've got Google Knowledge Graph who have had at least 3 billion entities in their database. Well, 3 billion is a lot bigger number than 6 million articles. So what's happening there? Um, so you've got, this, you know, could we map out every product, every service, every company, every kind of person in business and science or, or extended um, sets of people that people might want to look up like sports, mm. every concept into into extreme detail. Mm. And that that is, that is and then make it accessible and open for the world of Creative Commons 4.0 and, and do something do something that is non-linear, uh-huh. and that—that's what I wanted to get into. Yeah. And and how are you, and you guys are doing this with essentially a new technology that has been developed, correct? Yeah. So that we're developing technologies as we speak, mm. and we're a small foot in the door on like the the roadmap that really needs to be pulled off to achieve this in its in its full grand vision. Mm. So we've been working for about two years on it, mm. and we built various pieces of the puzzle. Um, and it seems to work. You know, we launched, we launched it a few days ago, um, and that that seems to have resonated well with people on Twitter. Um, the 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 complexity of the task is quite high, and there's many different ways to do it. So that that's the interesting part now, how we navigate all the paths and the ways to do to do this North Star, and even defining what the North Star really is mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems this is a highly ambitious project too. Like this is something I really like about it, which is that you're taking on something that nobody thinks can anybody can take on, which is like Wikipedia and like you yeah, know, it's like. But you guys are going to do it, and it sounds so. right. <laughs> yeah, and it's diff- it's a difficult task because Wikipedia is is genuinely one of the best things that we built, mm-hmm. and it's taken hundreds of thousands of people to to put it together. So um, one of our one of our frames of thinking is if, if we could apply AI to the problem. Mm-hmm. That's. Uh, it's a failure. Um, I'll turn this phone off. No problem. I actually put it on silent. <laughs> that's that is that's well, funny. Right? Software this, is not done yet. While we have this, let's move you a little yeah. bit closer yeah. to the mic too. So I turn that phone off. Yeah. So um, so here's a classic example. So the phone goes off, and I've turned the I've turned the phone to minimum uh, volume, uh-huh. <laughs> but it still goes off. Um, so software is not done yet, and and in the same analogy here, our collection of human knowledge, our collection of knowledge is not finished yet. Mm. Um, we have 
we have a long way to go. So it'd be very surprising if if Wikipedia would be the absolute final mm. hum, humanity's answer, like for all entirety going forward to to collect human knowledge. Mm. And whether it it's accumulated various constraints along the way, it's been r- roughly eighteen years, mm. um, and that accumulation of constraints leads to a, leads to opportunities coming about that they can't necessarily execute on, even if they wanted to. Mm. So um, you know, it's like the question is also why now? Why not in ten years? Or why why ten years before? People have attempted this ten years ago. Mm. It didn't it didn't work out necessarily. Or many things have happened since then, mm. and um, so the cost of storage has been falling very quickly. There are many new AI algorithms all over the place, which we can go into that have, that have built up. We've understood community dynamics more um, from from Facebook and Twitter. We've understood real identity. Um, we've understood the Git model, mm-hmm. and we've understood transparency. Um, so at, at this point, there are many pieces of the puzzle that have come together that weren't necessarily there back ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that may allow us to pull this off. Mm. Yeah. Can you let's talk about the, the the new AI machine learning type of stuff that's 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 sure. developed now? So you probably saw there was recent developments from OpenAI mm-hmm. where um, there's this attempt to write in natural language mm-hmm. um, with with machine intelligence. So that that is a hard problem. Um, can we get to the level where you can write um, an amazing book about something mm-hmm. <laughs> with with AI? Now that that's we had sports writing. If you zoom back, you know you could write up a sports game and and cover all the plays. It's a much um, probably smaller face space to get the name, get the get the content correct. So when you're trying to write something more encyclopedic, could you pull it off for that? Um, OpenAI thought their their results were so good that they they held a lot of the stuff back. You know, mm, seen that. Yeah, I remember. And then that. recently there were some developments on the weekends where they opened a bit more up. So that's one area of moving forward. Can you can you write uh, with AI? The other parts, the other pieces of the puzzle are: Can you do something called topic prediction? Mm-hmm. So, if you've got a document, if you've got a web page, and you, and you see something new in there, so we're talking about CRISPR-Cas twelve e, can you detect what that thing is? Because you could strip out all the things you do know, um, so you could reference that against your um, your entity database and say well, it's not normal CRISPR and it's not University of X, and you pull out all this stuff, and you pull out all the stop words, uh, stop words, and you lemmerize and, and tokenize, and you 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 can start to figure out predictions on, I think this is a new thing. Mm. And then you can also throw it to a human as well and say, can you verify this? So you can get a human in a loop. So that's the topic prediction part, which allows you to say there's something there that's new. Mm. And this is coming out from the academic papers or maybe it's in a, in a press release. So we hook into um, we hook into news and RSS feeds. We, we're crawling the web in a targeted way. And we're looking at academic papers and trying to say, okay, can, could we predict that there's something new in here? Once you're, once you're finding this new object, then, you, then you're trying to do something called taxonomic detection. So mm-hmm. what is this thing? Is this a company? Is this a person? Is this a concept? Is it a technology? Is it a product, service, animal, species? Mm-hmm. What is it? And so that, that, that's also got some, that's had some headway as well recently. Um, so there's, there's improvements in how to do t- the taxonomic detection. And then once you know what it is, we've got templates for various different things. Mm. So we say, okay, this is a company. We think this thing is a company, this mm. thing that's been named, let's just call it Flexport. If the first press release of Flexport came out, you see this word Flexport, you're like, what is it? Well, in the document, it's saying it's referring to a CEO, it's referring to a location, it's referring to a funding ground. So you can start to point to the taxonomic detection and say, this is a company. So once you know it's a company, you've got an off-the-shelf um, template and you know these different attributes that a company has, like mm. a location, a, a CEO. Um, all these other attributes, the products they release, the subsidiaries and parent companies. 
And then you can start trying to fill them in. So there's specific mm. algorithms for saying, in this document, can you detect the CEO? Because mm. a sentence may say the CEO is X. Or blah, 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 comma, CEO said X. So there's all these different forms of the language. And it's like trying to fill the attributes of it. So it gives you a sense of the structured data. So let yeah. me uh, yeah. interrupt you just for a second. Sure. What you're talking about is building a new page for a new thing that you guys find that you crawl the web for, say a Flexport web page on what Flexport is. And then you're talking about how the um, the neural net or whatever is actually filling that page, correct? With yeah, then it's how to populate the information. Because okay. there's two sides of it. There's the structured data. Mm. Um, so there's the attributes of what it is. Mm. Um, and then there's the unstructured prose. And that, that's more kind of, you know, the recent open AI stuff that they, that they did um, with writing natural language. So there's categorizing and then there's populating. Yeah, categorizing and populating on the structured side and populating on the on the prose side, writing up about like in human readable form. Got it. Um, and, and when you put that, start to put that stuff together, and there's extra information and links around this entity, you start mm. pulling it together. Like, this is the best, po best podcast about this. This is the best blog post about this. This is, the, mm. this is an academic paper. Okay. You start to collect this information object around the entity, which starts to become quite useful. So you have yeah. an entity offline in the real space. Now what you're trying to do is represent that, most of which is happening with no human direct inter inter intervention. Ideally, we would do the work all, all in automatic ways so that yeah. humans could spend their time learning. Mm. Um, and you can le obviously you learn by writing, so you don't want to cut out writing, but uh -huh. maybe you can write new things or opinions around it or, or the takes on it. And, and I, wanted, I want to remove a lot of the manual work yeah. um, involved in, in the process of constructing this information. So it, in, in an ideal way, if we were going to describe this object, we may want to build like a perfect 3D object with all this information, labels and like abstractions of what this object is. Mm. Um, in, in, and there's like, there's a machine readable view, like what does this look like from a machine? And there's a human view, mm. there's definitely overlap between it. Maybe it's the same thing, I don't know. Um, so the, yeah, putting that description of the object together in a useful way and getting it useful to the human is good because um, it means that there's engagement from to maybe help like fill the gaps. And I, th I think the merge, like what, what we've done is, is try to put two, the two sides together where humans, you know, get bored with certain repetitive tasks, we want to automate it. And where yeah. the AI is failing, well, it's bringing the human together and to get and on these hybrid systems, I think they're much more effective than just one or the other. Yeah. And this is what I've been uh, lamenting on very recently is I just had to up upload four podcast episodes in a row. And it's just, you know, it was an hour of very mindless tasks mixed with creative tasks. Mm -hmm. And if I could only focus on the creative task of, say, writing the description, but even that I want to eventually automate that because that's not that interesting to me. Uh, but there's just constant clicking, clicking, clicking. And it's yeah. like, why why am I doing this? Yeah. And, and creative, on that point, creativity seems to be very relative in that if you had a cat using a computer, mm. um, doing these so-called basic tasks, that would be very creative for the cat. Mm. But Creative, for us, that creativity is like the abstraction of like either something complex or either something non-repetitive. Um, it's, it's tricky because like some things in mathematics are repetitive, that mm. process of maybe you know, going and checking the, does your, the logic on the line work that's potentially repetitive, but the structures of the, the more abstracted um, creative parts, which may be simple and elegant, or they may be elegant but difficult to pull mm. off. So it's like this, this tide that's moving of what is a creative mm. task, moving from like a stone age of someone, you know, using software to, to like, hey, we don't want to do this anymore. We've done it too much. Mm. Yeah. That's a really important part. Essentially, creativity is relative to the person creating 
So something that is creative to somebody will not be creative to the other person. Yes, yeah, relative to many different things. It's mm-hmm. relative to themselves. It's relative to the market. It's or or, or society or previous prior art. It's relative. Mm-hmm. You know, a painting that is an exact replica of a, a, Van, a Van Gogh. When that if that person had never been um, connected to society, the internet, never seen the image, but had just come mm-hmm. up with it themselves, that you could say that's like really creative. But mm-hmm. if if they just there to exactly replicate it. Um, or maybe you could build a machine to, to drop, you know, have a three D printing droplet machine to paint the paint the picture. So, <laughs> so just with the frame of frames of putting it there, like it's changing the way we're defining creativity, and that's a, that it seems to be a very wide definition space of what creativity really is. Yeah. So I know we had a bunch of topics that we talked about beforehand, but this seems like it's a really important topic, which is evolution, because twenty thousand years ago, if we're around the fire, creativity could mean. Uh, dancing with somebody, coming up with a new song to sing around the fire, and now our brains are starting to merge with computers. For example, you know, I do Duolingo every day. Duolingo is enhancing my ability to creatively speak with another human being in another language. Where are we going with uh, with this 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 mixture of human and technology? Yeah, and and if if that is a basis for like talking about creativity, then maybe maybe it's really novelty, because uh-huh. um, that dance that dance today could be still very creative if someone someone dances um, and does a creative dance that is original, because there's originality in in, in the collective space of who has that information and knowledge, mm, yep. and a lot of people refer to creativity as something novel. Um, so what's novel is novel to that group because it may be out there somewhere in yep. the universe. It may already be there. And everything we did on Earth may not be creative at all. It may be the lowest form of creativity of some kind of alien civilization. <laughs> um, yeah. So important, and particularly yoga. I've been thinking about this question with yoga. Uh, there's a lot of postures that are now that have been invented in the last 150 years, and they call them yoga, but it, they, and they give them the, the the semblance of tradition, but they've really been invested invented in the last 150 years. But the human body has always been able to, not always, the human body has been able to move in this way for a very long time. So somebody has moved in this way before, but that new knowledge of how to move is being transmitted to me. And sometimes it's through the internet. Sometimes it's through a YouTube video of me watching somebody do a dance move. Mm-hmm. And like that, my brain has not, doesn't know how to make that movement. But now that I've seen this person and I practice this movement, my brain now knows how to do this mod- movement. Same thing applies also to knowledge. For example, 400 BC, around the time of Axial Age, huge time for thought in Greece, huge time for thought in India, tons of things were written, all of it lost, like lost to the general population. Where did it go? You know, it's like a lot of it was burned, and then we rediscovered it in the Middle Ages through these intermediaries of Arabic sources that were translating old Greek documents, like so, like the knowledge gets lost, and then it gets yeah. And it gets created again. They're not created, it gets refound. And it becomes creative again. Mm. So the rediscovery of the novel process to us, it, it feels creative again. If you if you discover something, it's you've made that creative. Someone's gonna label that novel, someone's gonna label that creative. Is it creative in abstraction? Is it creative when there's no observer? Um if it I, that that is something where you would have to do, you know, well maybe that that opens up a whole bunch of other interesting questions. Like, what is you know, is, is something can something be inherently creative without any kind of observer? That's a anthropomorphic definition, or um, you know, even a conscious mind definition of like creativity. So, is there, are there creativity de- um, are there creativity definitions that <clears throat> are purely abstracted from from a conscious like viewing, like judging that to be a creative thing? Mm, can we get more into that? I'm not quite clear on what that means. 
So, so we, we were talking about how the creativity and the novelty um, was somewhat referenced to the viewers of that situation, which might be yourself in, and as an individual, it might be a collective of people, a society, and they are saying, we are saying, the people having the conversation are saying, this is a creative thing that occurs. But if you take those people away, and um, it was it a creative thing that occurred, or was it more creative, should, could we, should we move more into like an entropy definition where this is like some very high entropy or low entropy state or mixed entropy state, which is a very unusual state in the universe. And this was creativity, um, or Max Tegmark's idea in some of his papers about you know, space-time cur- complexity curves of some of these particles in some, in some kind of system state, which, which, you know, that could be a viewpoint of like a very neutral definition of creativity where there's no um, anthropomorphization of, of, of what it is. Or when I, when I said anthropomorphization, then I abstracted to conscious mind definition. Conscious human mind. I was saying, yeah, yeah superset mm-hmm. to human mind. Um, judging, judging this and processing it and labeling what what is what is novel and what is creative and creating the so meaning. So, yeah, it. so something there are probably definitions that lie outside of that where it's it's you know it's it's something that can stand by itself. Uh-huh. Um, but well, then again, judging like, it, you still need a Turing machine to judge it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this well, this gets really interesting because I view creativity also in the fact that there's a tree outside my house. Mm-hmm. That is, there there was a creative act that created that tree, and regardless of whether a human is viewing that tree, we might we put meaning on that tree. I'm putting meaning on it right now, but that yeah. tree exists, and that tree was creative. And what is the creative process that created that tree? Yeah, as well. Like, and these these are really interesting. Like this this is part of the reason. Yeah, <laughs> build golden and. <laughs> You know, we get the we get the information out there, and then people. Um, I always view this as well that I wanted to know more about the universe and how it works. Uh-huh. My brain has limitations, many, in fact. <laughs> so, how could I build a system that would be inside my constraints and inside my limitations that would allow other people, let's just say, ten billion other people, and some normal dis- or some distribution of minds in there, or AI minds in the future that would be able to push like push the knowledge forward mm-hmm. so could i apply my pro- pro- like some product knowledge that, I, that i'm still a beginner at um in building some kind of system that would allow other people who are smarter than me to discover things and be inspired especially young people as a group and this is a key so what you're talking about is essentially perfect knowledge i was thinking about this before i went to sleep last night which is that my brain will never comprehend the universe as it is it yep. will only create a model that is inaccurate created very highly inaccurate inaccurate as you say but can a group of humans augmented by technology create a more perfect model of reality? Yeah, and we won't get a perfect model. Yeah. And that, that's, that's part of the, the, the Godel's incompleteness theorem, and that's part of the, the Heisenberg's uncertainty principle of this, you know, you cannot get necessarily a perfect model of, of what's around. You can get a really good, you can get a pretty good model. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting, because a pretty good model might be completely, it might be fundamentally wrong, or like giving the right output for the wrong mechanics on the inside. Mm. And I, I think that that comes to this half-life of tr- uh, half-life of facts, half-life of truth, where we we think we had something locked down, and then it, it flips to a completely different way mechanism of explaining something. Either the outcome um, is very different, or the mechanics of explaining something is different. Mm. And I think we have to be prepared that all these claims that we have, all these statements that we have, are just we're trying to seek a better model. And we're arguing about things to try and get to better claims and, and push it forward. And sometimes there's going to be one person that completely disagrees with the herd here and they got it right. And we may not find out for a while. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's 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 kind of an interesting problem in the physics community as well. It seems to be that there is there is this like we're potentially you know grinding to a halt. I don't think we are really, but um, on, on making 
big leaps in, in physics mm. um, and possibly as well because of some of the energy requirements required to go test these theories out of, of, of outstripping you know the resources we have on earth mm. especially as we as we waste them on, on stupid things like wars <laughs> so so um, there's it, it also comes to this interesting idea of like what I'm going to call like dollar falsifiability uh. Uh, like you know say you say a claim and I want to go and scientifically test it or falsify it or otherwise um, to go either way I'm going to have to put some dollars and some time down I'm going to have to put some computation down as well. Mm. And there are limits to computation and there are limits to dollars and there are limits to our time in a, in a, in a biological sense. So we're, we're going to start seeing ourselves, at least as humans, hit up against some of these things where, you know, if we've got to build a CERN that's the size of the Earth that has to go around the Earth to start to test out, you oh. know, some of the supersymmetry or like some of the um, string theory idea, the energy levels start to become really high and they go outside of we're starting to go outside of possibly being able to validate things. Um, there's still a lot of stuff to do, don't get me wrong. There's tons of stuff to go validate. Like mm. biology's open season, chemistry's mm. probably open season. There's tons of stuff in physics to do. Um, some very fundamental stuff is becoming, and math is open season, but it's becoming a brain limitation pro problem possibly, or at least education scale problem. Um, and the physics part, there's become, we're starting to see new limitations, new issues of resources, but maybe you could argue we already have them. Like uh -huh. in the Middle Ages, you couldn't, couldn't make a sound in the Middle Ages. So <laughs> well, we just need a bit of time to catch up. Well, yeah. that's what I'm thinking is that we can create models of this. For example, climate change. We can create models of climate change, but we can't actually understand what happens until climate change happens, right? Yeah, well, you could make a model that you could, yeah, you to reference it against the real world. Um, yeah, some of the events, especially for these one-time events or black swan events or catastrophic chaotic events, they they to prove it, to really go prove it, you may have to let it run through, and you only get one chance because it kills the observer. And it's you know, it's, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's a thing where yeah, you, the yeah. observer dies in 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 waiting to know which way it's going to go, so you can go past gold's wager, uh -huh. and you can say, well, I, I'm not going to take a risk with that. I'm gonna I'm not going to wait for the asteroid to hit the Earth. I'm going to deflect it just in case. And then it's about, well, we have all these different risks and what were our objectives as society. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do? What are the most important risks to society? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. This is another thing that, yeah, this is something that, you know, we could throw out potential risks that you would want to look at, but uh -huh. like, we don't know. And, and, and we don't know how to apportion. Risk is really difficult. Probability is really difficult to apportion. Risk is difficult to apportion. Um, and and Judeo Powell has a great book called The Book of Why. I'm not sure if you- I've you've heard of it. Yeah. yeah, read mm -hmm. it. It's, it's, it's really cool. And there are many, limitations in our brain for like associating like i guess our causation models with like real probability how real probability works and there's mm. all these like paradoxes like um you know that the three door problem where our brains don't necessarily get intuitive sense on real probability and that that comes to risk so that those flaws that we have um the well mm. that also can sometimes maybe be advantages the, they don't necessarily they don't translate well into humans understanding risk and especially for chaotic systems like like the climate system we we may not be able to get our act together in time mm -hmm. so that that's one so to answer your question that's one level of category of risk we've got this climate risk and that that's tr transcendental in many different ways there's the overheating problem and damaging the sea from from acidity and, and overheating and it's over well, there'll, be, there'll be some places that are very cold and that that confuses normal people mm. because it's be, well if we got this climate change then how how are some places getting cold colder winters because yeah. the chaos theory part is very hard to understand and i think just teaching this should be part of like syllabuses of just like trying to distill these complex ideas into a simple into mm. a simpler way to talk about it simple but not simplistic um or maybe yeah i mean <laughs> 
maybe in a way, well, to get the, without removing the gist of what it really is, oh, like yeah. it's still going to be like an MVP yeah. definition of like, what is this thing we're trying to deal with? And, 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 you, and we see it get politicized as well. Like the climate change thing has got politicized. Mm. Um, and yeah, so back to the risk, we've got this risk category. Risks are an interesting one. They, they should mm. keep some people up at night, but not too much because they need to work on it in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so we got this climate, climate change risk. There's a species, species um, extinction risk. So we're, we're, we're getting rid of biodiversity. And like, why is it bad? Mm. Well, it's bad because of, you know, these systems are more robust when you have diversity. The, and also there's interesting uh, products and learnings that can come from like various different species as well that we may lose that data. Mm-hmm. So we should at least back up the genomes of every single species and every single variation. And every cell inside of every... <laughs> there's a human cell atlas project. What's that? Um, there is a human cell atlas project to go uh-huh. map it. There's, a, there's the Paul Allen brain um, mapping project. So there are all these interesting mapping projects that we seem to be doing right now, which, mm-hmm. is, which is good news. Um, but that might not be the best thing because the mapping is going to have a limitation. So we still want to keep the original sources. It's like, hey, there's this great book in the library and the, and the library's burning. You've got 30 seconds to go scan it and, 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 and send an email out. Uh-huh. It's like, well, can I just run out with a book? Or can I put the fire out? <laughs> um, so there's that level of risk. And then we've got this this AI AI territory of risk. And I think there's a lot of scaremongering on there and a lot of yeah. debates on, on how dangerous it is. And once again, it's something that I don't know. I, I, I can't claim to say I don't know you know, I read the book on, on superintelligence by uh, Nick uh, Bostrom, and that that has an interesting take on it. Um, I personally do not know. Mm. I do not know how to judge the risk or assign any kind of probability to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, definitely interesting. And yeah. this might go into another thing about not knowing, because I don't know either. I don't know if you know, but here in Silicon Valley, and it's kind of spreading to the rest of the world, we have a, essentially a messianic view on technology, that technology is the only thing that's going to save us. Uh, and then... Now we're in this kind of weird feedback loop where technology was the thing that's saving us and now it's causing the problems that everybody sees, even if some of us disagree about whether they're problems or not. But it keeps on going. To my mind, there is no solution. There's no out unless technology plus something else. And I think that something else is philosophy, uh, yoga, uh, things that can help us be more human with in the midst of rapid change. Uh, what do you think about this messianic kind of sense of technology? Can technology help us survive? Yeah, yeah, some technologies, yes. Some technologies, I mean, when we talk about a tech company, there are some tech companies that create extreme network effects that where some people do not win. Mm. And and there are some tech companies where it's an, a zero-sum game, a negative-sum game. There are, some, there are some that are positive-sum game. There are some that are positive-sum game on an average level, but some lost and some won. And, and, and it, they all have different functions on that, on that value exchange. So... There's that view, that way to view it, but mm. I, I do think there is are other components. There's technology without the direction is is not so useful. You have to have a direction, um, and that direction probably needs some ethical framework. Um, it probably needs an ethical framework of the society that you're working inside, um, and maybe a wider view of the universe as well. Mm. Um, and that 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 becomes difficult. And 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 then even to lock that down, you need some kind of contracts. You need some social contracts. You need communication. I think education is the, the interesting way forward on this because it gives you a lot of optionality to solve the problems mm-hmm. and understand the problems. So it, it's, it's, it's almost as if, um, hey, you, got, you remember the trolley problem where, where you've got the rails and someone's strapped to the rail and mm-hmm. um, you've got two people, like with this pick one case, so that we've got two people on this rail, you've got one person on this rail. Um, you only have a certain amount of time. Yeah, maybe it's default set, it, set to like killing two people. So mm-hmm. you're going to flip the rail. You know, there's always different configurations of the problem. So 
you could, and you've got five minutes to think this through. Mm. You might want to wait until the last second to mm. pull the trigger. Mm. And that, that's the education part, where it's like, hey, I want the optionality to understand the problem set and understand the, how to solve these um, things and what we could do with it. So that, that's the, techno the education is required, the technology the technology is required. Um, there's a difference as well between the technology and the tech companies. Mm because um, mm. some technology should be open sourced it's, it's better to do that mm. um, and not everything necessarily has to be in a tech company not everything should be in a monopoly and some things are better in monopolies mm -hmm. um, and, and they're actually better for the consumers in monopolies sometimes um, and some are better in monopolies when they have regulation it's, I think there's a whole set of different cases and, and there's a problem here that everybody just munches it yeah. all together and then says monopoly's tech bad, is bad. Yeah. tech is bad mm -hmm. and so let's look at the individual cases let's try and abstract some categories mm. where you could you could even enter a phase where hey the, like the backlash could be so large that you may have the you may have to have companies becoming b corps which is where you can write into a charter mm. constraints like this company will do none of this none of that before the company even gets started mm. maybe some investors will um start to who knows maybe um people will be asking for this before a company's formed for you to write down certain charters ethical charters Maybe you say this company will never engage in in negative um, some games, but measuring is hard. Yeah. You got measurement how do you define well. a negative? Sum how do you define it? How yeah. you measure it? Mm. Everyone's going to have different measure, measurement ways. So, yeah, these these are an entire set of good problems to like look into now. Mm. Um, how are you guys yeah. thinking about it with Golden? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. So um, the intention, you know, of the company is to try and do something that's really useful for the world and not have really any negative outputs. Mm. Um, and then <laughs> like, can delicious. you do something without having, but then again, you could say, well, you know, you guys are using electricity on a computer and that electricity is coming from right now, probably a non-renewable source and you're, so you're adding to climate change. Um, <laughs> so, so there's lots of like ways to look at this and this is where it's a trade-off of like, mm -hmm. I'm trying to do this good objective, but I've got some wake and how do you minimize your wake? How do you leave no trace when you go to the, that, the national park? And that, that's the kind of one of the principles we're trying to do. Mm. Um, how do you try and be ethical in your deal making? And people don't talk, I don't really think, see people talking about this at all. Mm. I, don't really, I don't really see investors asking about these questions of like, how, what do you consider an ethical deal? Mm. What do you consider an unethical deal? And, and for, for an in, on an individual basis or, or for society, none of that stuff really gets discussed. But there, there, is, a lot of, there is a lot of tension right now, as you know, with, with tech companies. Um, with monopolies, with non-linear um, power law curve type type companies, so we may be entering a phase now where this this stuff will start getting opened up, mm. and we're entering on just trying to solve problems right now. We're seeing more more like clean meat companies and plant-based meat companies, mm. and it, almost like clean tech is back, like clean tech 2.0, but it's it's not under that name because that no one wants mm. to put it on that name. Well, yeah. and this there's a problem I see with this as well, which is the paying lip service to. So instead of actually people caring about these issues, they're going to start paying lip service to it, and, and investors are going to start asking like, "Oh, look at this company I've got who's creating uh, plant-based meat, but that plant-based meat is actually really, really horrible for your body." Like, like yeah. So there's 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 you go to solve one problem, and mm -hmm. there can there can be other problems that can be created. Now this is still good in that. Well, maybe maybe we can um, like I just read sunscreen. Um, yep. There are certain chemicals that get absorbed into your bloodstream, and now um, there's there's looking look into those chemicals and the effects of it. So you know you went in to solve one problem, you created another problem. Is problem one larger than problem two? And then how do we solve problem two and problem three and problem four? And I don't think it's you shouldn't just throw, we shouldn't just throw in the towel and say like okay, well I couldn't 
uh, I've got this problem two, as long as problem two is smaller than problem one. Mm. And, and then smaller is like, well, how do I measure it? But yeah. if, you, if, it's, if it's clear there's order of magnitude difference, but sometimes the problem space shifts. You shift it from one group of people to another group yeah. of people. Yeah. You shift it from people to animals. So you yeah. shift it from animals to the environment or the environment to animals. You shift the problem around. So mm. this is another thing as well of seeing, could we be creative where we take out the problems with maybe two companies, maybe portfolios from investors but we built where this company went and did this, but this company took out their wake. Mm. So we know that waves like constructively interfere and and um, they can add up to be a problem or they can they can cancel each other out. So there might be ways that we can start being smart about, especially as we as we see more and more companies come up um, and all the variations get covered where we can mm. start to be clever about that. Mm -hmm. um, so here's a question that is gonna be interesting. Capitalism, you are trying to create a company and can capitalism and good ethical, can they coexist? Can ethics and capitalism coexist? I think so. Yeah. I think so. And I, I think not necessarily fully 100% unregulated mm -hmm. capitalism. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we know capitalism already is regulated. Even if you remove a lot of the laws, you're still operating on a US dollar. Uh, you're still operating on a bunch of laws. Principles as yeah, well. Yeah, and uh, principles. Yeah. So, so the capitalism that we have today, even what is considered free market capitalism, mm. is not 100% free market. Mm. Mm. You, can't, you can't fire a nuclear weapon at your competitor. <laughs> yeah. In the most extreme example, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, so, so we're not in, we never will be in free market capitalism. Yeah. So then it's like, what is a sensible set of rules? And also if you think about sport, if you don't set up rules, the sport becomes uninteresting. Yeah. But so, so how, how is, yeah, how can we create rules that serve at the maximum number. Well, the, if you say the maximum number of people, are you excluding animals? Are you excluding mm -hmm. other effects and stuff yeah. like that? So there's all this like thing of like, how are you going to weight all this stuff out? And um, how are you going to weight out the stakeholders mm. in terms weighted in terms of like how, how you maximize their, their their kind of experience or like positive experience from this and define even what positive is mm. and and. This, this, so yeah, I think capitalism already um, in many situations is a big driving force for a lot of progress in inverted commas. Um, and it, it, it solved um, lots of medical diseases mm -hmm. through like the right incentives. Incentive structures as well, like the interesting one, how can we get incentive structures right for what is classically considered a positive thing? Mm. Um, and then this comes back to as well, well, it's a positive thing getting all humans happy and well fed so we can go to 100 billion people on the earth and have no animals or like you know so what is that balance here mm. what are we what are we trying to reach and, and it comes to that sustainability part so it starts getting into some hairy mm. like ethical areas yeah. which are, are quite tricky but yeah. I, I do believe capitalism um can and and uh you know positivity can can come together and i, I think we need to start breaking down some of the characteristics where certain companies it's it not necessarily a good thing for them to be a monopoly because mm. the consumer gets a really bad experience and some of them where the consumer gets a great experience if mm. it's a monopoly but we set say a price threshold um and there's various kind of ways to solve the solve the problems mm. that emerge from these very complex objects and mm -hmm. systems yeah so again it goes back to i don't know but here's what my guess is and i'm gonna put it, put yeah. it behind it yeah <laughs> So you've got a great list here in front of you of, of all the things I sent you we talked about beforehand. What are you most interested in talking about? Wow. Um, I mean, we can go um, a little bit into creativity, well, techniques for creativity, because I, I, cool. I saw that as one of the questions. Mm -hmm. So I, I frantically used the, the, the techniques to come up with the techniques or more <laughs> techniques. But uh, 
No, I just wrote down things I collected from usually other pe- watching other people. Mm. And, and, and I don't know whether there's anything on this list which I've like originally come up with myself. And this is more of a co- collection of, of um, a collection of, of techniques. So I'm going to go through some of them. Um, I'm just going to back reverse to another page real quick. Mm. Um, so one of them, one of them was a story about Dyson and the, and the vacuum cleaner. Mm. So I thought this was quite an interesting, interesting story that the actual vo- vortex that's inside that, you know, that rotating vortex is inside the, uh, the vacuum cleaner that comes actually from industrial process for separating, um, mm. I, I think like some kind of like rocks or chemical. I, I'm not sh- exactly sure which chemical there was like dust and rocks they had to separate. And so he he had seen this. The story goes, and I don't know if this is true, because <laughs> someone told me, and I, I, I would need to research it later on. That he had seen this giant drum, this is like huge drum in a factory spinning around, and that was part of the inspiration for taking it into um, the Dyson. Mm. And and that to me is this thing called I call it analogy and transfer. So you find this cool thing, and you take it down. Maybe you change it through scale. So what happens if I like blow it up or I shrink it down? Will it what effects will, will the effects get better or worse? Mm-hmm. So I think thinking about that as one of your dimensions of play when solving problems is interesting. And um, the other thing, if you look back to his early work, you've, you've also got the wheelbarrow. So I think for his Royal College of Art, and this needs to be checked again, um, project uh, when he was more of a student, he had this wheel wheelbarrow. Mm-hmm. And classically, the wheelbarrows they fall over in the mud left to right because they've got this normal wheel. He, he had this ball wheel and it, and it meant that the, the, the weight was distributed over a larger area because mm-hmm. it was a ball. So when it came to a, going over a mud patch, it didn't fall over left to right. Now, if you look in the, in the modern Dysons, he's taken that ball mm-hmm. and he's got it in the ball of, of, the, of the Dyson Hoover. Mm-hmm. You see that ball at the bottom of the Dyson Hoover. Mm-hmm. So that's another one, recycle. Recycle mm-hmm. ideas all day long. Recycle mm-hmm. and remix and recycle good ideas take them from somewhere and put them somewhere else mm. and recycle your own ideas because mm. um, you might have a good idea that you may not have deployed yet to something so mm. recycle it and keep thinking about what your best ideas are and can can they be applied in different ways um, another thing and this is kind of like the Charlie Munger um, Warren Buffett you know mental models of building out hundreds and hundreds thousands of mental models mm. and drawing pictures of them if not if, if you have time and producing the anti-model making the inverse like where does the model break where, where is this like the, the model of imagine there's someone arguing against you and the best they're deploying the best arguments they possibly have mm. um and using that as well to 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 you run run an argument run a counter argument against it and keep going back and forth and go down all the trees mm. um so that's a very good way as well of checking like your thesis on like your creativity you know you're going to come up with these statements that you want to try and test well i've got yeah. did you guys do this with golden I've been doing it in my head, and I think <laughs> the team right now, we, we're probably doing it live in, yeah. in a sense. Like, uh-huh. I, I, I don't know the other... This is the question yeah. I have in, in making mo- models and testing it out all in this mind space, which seems disconnected from physical reality, as opposed to just doing it mm-hmm. and figuring it out really with live data and everything like that. Yeah, so the mo- we have models, we have like ideas and models that we're testing, and we're learning, as we add new team members, we learn maybe some of their models. Mm. And we pitch, and sometimes the models clash. Like we have a fundamentally, and you and you zoom out of that, and you, you may have a fundamentally different worldview on some other assumption, which you can have a discussion about. And in life, you know, you've got a limited amount of time to, when you build a company. You've got a limited amount of time to do it. You've got a limited amount of capital. You've got a limited amount of time, and the clock is against you, right? Your runway is against you. So you can't 
necessarily go too philosophical all the time but it's interesting if you can take that stuff out into your free time then it, it's interesting you can get to know each other a bit more and building anti-models and this kind of comes to like even say with crypto a lot of people wanted to apply mm. crypto models to x and y and z and a lot of people have put out white papers so that my, my suggestion there was build the anti-white paper <laughs> and, and you can do this for everything so always build the inverse uh -huh. of of your best of your best pitch and see like their best the best pitch against your best pitch uh -huh. and see which one wins out and be flexible like be willing to jump to the other side uh, what is um, the anti-model for golden Ooh, the anti-model for Golden, that's a, that's a good question. Okay, so you could say, okay, well, let's build a fully distributed version on, on a blockchain. Mm. And we have that, but we could be back. Sometimes the inverse is not necessarily um, incompatible with, with the other thing. The inverse mm -hmm. may lock in perfectly. Mm -hmm. So we, we think we could, if we want to, we could write the information to a blockchain and have a distributed component for backup reasons. Say if like all the AWS servers got nuked around mm -hmm. the country, like we want this information to be everywhere. So. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that, that would be one dimension. And also break things out into dimensions. I think with creativity, it's easy if you understand some of the salient dimensions that make up the problem space. Mm. So one of the problem spaces is centralization versus decentralization, real identity versus anonymity. Mm -hmm. um, All know, these spectrums that basically you have to land somewhere on the spectrum. You got to choose, yeah. So mm -hmm. one of the things as well with designing Golden is to write down all these spectrums mm -hmm. and see where you were. And it doesn't have to be the extremes um, but it's got to be somewhere along extreme, that Yeah, it's got to be somewhere along that spectrum. you got to choose, yeah. yeah. Um, so other creative parts as well. Um, there are proof methods in math, huh. like proof by induction and uh, by, you know, the, the counter. You can, you can use some of the, You can just study that without necessarily knowing how to, do, how to, like, do the math, but you can apply those to also solving problems. So that's mm -hmm. worth reviewing and going through those techniques. And there is a book called How to Solve It. Um, and the the mathematician like has like more creative ways to solve math problems mm. so you can you can take that across to to other kind of problems like business problems product problems life problems mental issues um <clears throat> the other one is um like exhaustive method like going through every single different way of solving the problem <laughs> it's like there are finite combinations so like you know thinking through the number of combinations or something and thinking through how big that what we're going to call the phase spaces or something and then, you know, if it's a smaller phase space, like there's a smaller number of combinations, maybe I can think through all the different permutations, but if it's like very unlimited, mm. maybe I can't. So looking at the problem space and saying, you know, okay, this is a finite combination. Like say you're trying to take a sofa around a, <clears throat> around a, a door. Mm. Um, so you're trying to lift the sofa up, up the stairs. That's a sofa movement problem. Mm. So in, in, there aren't that many configurations of the sofa on a kind of like holistic, you know, configuration. There are lots of subtle um, angles you could have but mm. the the number of permutations of like the real orientation there aren't that many so you, you can think about that problem space it has a small phase space of some of the configurations but a very large phase space of maybe this the particular angle so i think thinking about things in terms of phase space of mm. the of, of the problem set helps as well to know what you're dealing with it could you use the exhausted method or not can computers yeah. do that um well think in phase spaces yeah well, you can have model. You can have like physics models that can calculate, calculate the the phase space of of a, of some problems. Mm -hmm. Yes, but if you can't define if your model of the real problem is is not very accurate, then you're not going to get a very good calculation mm -hmm. there. So and, it's thinking yeah. through the models before you actually introduce them to the computer or introduce them. Yeah, you got to think through model. You got to think through models. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I think we're probably seeing more on that of like 
how do I approach this problem? And I, mm. I don't see any good software for doing that. I just mm. see software for like writing down tasks that I need to do. Mm. I don't see pro software that walks me through. And then people have tried to build systems for this. And I always thought that systems were a little bit cheesy because you kind of get intuitive about solving these and you're, and you're using methods. Maybe you don't even know how to like crystallize what the methods are. Yeah. Maybe we're going to read out like five methods that I tried to write down on a piece of paper. You've got a thousand in the back of your head. Or maybe a very abstracted version that gets there quickly. Mm. I don't know. Um, the other one, so to that actually, one of them was, um, you know, trying to trying to take it into a visual realm. Mm -hmm. So some of these problem sets, I, it helps for some people. It helps if you really visualize what it is, mm. um, and let that. I mean, the, the brain does have a, a large proportion, a proportion of mass associated with the visual part. Um, so if you could if you could visualize the problem, that that like really visualize the problem, that can help. Um, and then also thinking about it. So I've got this thing called front burner, back burner. Mm. And so your front burner are the things you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you hit a blocker. Mm. So that blocker, it's okay to sleep on it. And your brain, your subconscious brain will solve it. And you know, I, I did have this uh, from one of my, my Cambridge professors. He, he, this was one of the techniques we use for exams. So you would work on all the, you would read all the questions in parallel. Mm. You would start working on some of them. If you got blocked, you would move to the next question. Mm. And your mm. brain would just see working through. And at the end of the exam, you would come back to it. And it sounds obvious, but like you can do that. And if you do it overnight, there is a special effect as well. Mm. So for, for, for homework assignments, for difficult like math problems, it, it would be sleeping on it and coming back to it in the morning. And half the time, you, you probably solved it mm. um, subconsciously. It works for engineering problems. So mm. it's always good to have a couple of projects on the go at the same time mm. and not just one because you just bang your head against the wall. And you just need to take a break or sleep mm. on it. Mm. Have a couple of projects on the go. Have a couple of problem sets. Come back to it if you get stuck make progress in other ways, maybe it will loop back around and connect together. Mm. This, is a, yeah. this is, brings up an interesting point, and you don't have to get into this, this is fully me saying it. Uh, uh, that, so a lot of people have put an analogy on psychedelics as in they are dream, dream machines, they create a dream. Uh, and a lot of people say that that's, a lot of people in the spiritual community say it's, uh, you shouldn't do that because you're just playing in this dream world. But a lot of people use psychedelics for that various reasons that lets you to unblock you because it puts you into that dream state that gets highly creative and highly um, problem solving and stuff like that. Yeah, so on that, I've been thinking a bit about that. So from experience, mm. <laughs> there you go. Put it um, allegedly, by, no, from experience, and I, I really don't see why there's any kind of stigma around this, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll probably, we will hopefully see what happened with marijuana occur mm. um, all, over, all over the world. Um, with psychedelics mm. and uh, but they you know they're, they're serious things they're serious tools mm. just like a, a an f-16 fighter jet you're not mm. going to step into one on a sunday when you when you've got a hangover yeah <laughs> so you got you got to be you know yeah. you got to look at it as if you got this like tool that's like potentially very powerful and very very dangerous mm. and you and you, you might need a bit of training on it you might need and so to go into that i think there are you know different people have different constraints of what they think is possible so mm. the, for the person that that uh, maybe thinks it, that everything is very constrained and it's not that many possibilities mm. that may be great as a first experience just to unlock them um, in the right situation unlock them from the constraints that they previously thought were there um, and I, I've also been slightly skeptical slight, that you, you can see you can see some of the you can see getting around some of the constraints if you go into the physics and the math anyway so you can get there in a different way and then it's also like specific I think for maybe for music and arts it's been, you know, in inverted commas, more creative, like some people have had creative experiences out from that. Um, and, and to be honest, everybody's probably having different experiences. So what I, I had in my mm -hmm. experiences could be a, a tiny fraction of the, 
the combinations of experiences other people had. So, Although to come yeah. back to your categorization point, but this is what humans are doing, there is a website, there is a Stealing Fire is the book where they talk about a website where people have started to categorize all these experiences on psychedelic and they do yeah. fit into certain models, particularly with DMT. DMT, the smokable version, starts to lead people to see elves pretty reliably. <laughs> yeah, they're there. I can see them right now. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, so the visual stuff, that, so there's some interesting papers on um, interesting. on this and, and there's some stuff on Quantum Magazine, I think, recently about oh. why some of those shapes turn up. Uh-huh. And, and there are, like, reasons for... Um, say say in your brain like if you're turning off certain pathways in your brain or activating certain pathways why some of those shapes start showing up and and they're kind of like artifacts in some of these in i guess in some of your um neural nets that will like start starting to you could say resonate or um, reveal themselves mm-hmm. um that, that are there mm-hmm. and and that stuff is like not super mystical to me when you start looking at um there, there i think there is something on quanto about this uh, type looking for hallucinogenic like shapes that you see and why they're there the mathematics of why they're there and you can actually predict them um, with some of the models and that so that, that stuff like that became unmystical mm-hmm. and then it's also like could you use it practically and we see a lot of like you know joke i joke about people you know people talk about microdosing. like so what about macro dosing <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so there's a lot of like kind of BS Silicon Valley chat about microdosing and like people microdose. I don't because see- you still got to be productive for the jo- day job. Yeah, and I, I think I think a lot of it's just not really there. Uh-huh. I, I I don't believe it's there from like all mm. the observation or like I don't know hundred like just lots of people. Like I don't think that stuff is really happening. Mm. But I do think there's like a lot of you could like release yourself from feedback loops or constraints from this than this um, experiences, and then maybe some people I'd love to know who they are and what their experiences are have managed to turn it into a pro- truly productive tool mm. um i found the most productive tool to be absolute clarity in the absolute mm-hmm. most sober state mm-hmm. with the most amount of sleep mm-hmm. with the most amount of hydration with a little bit of caffeine mm-hmm. and not too um, much food for me <laughs> yeah I, I yeah maybe not yeah not too yeah. much food yeah uh-huh. so clarity to me has just been like a, a lack of like other things going on yeah and mm-hmm. and yeah mm. i think that that's pretty clear as well and it gets into the like I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with that state, um, but I don't know. Yes, I, I think a lot of people will find it difficult to sit at a desk with a blank piece of paper and a pen. Mm. Like that to me is like a fantastic evening. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you have? I mean, this might get into something. That, uh, do you have any advice for people who do have that feeling of uncertainty or despair when they sit in front of a white piece of paper and? Maybe don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> don't do it is my first, is my, or, you know, why, why are you sitting there the first, like, uh-huh. do you want to write something? So maybe get in front of a laptop. Do you want to, like, draw something? So get, try, don't use a pen, like, pick something else. So thinking through the motivations of what, what you're trying, why, mm. why, you know, if your anxiety is an interesting as well, one as well, because a lot of, we, we were talking about founders and, um, you know, they, people push themselves very, very hardcore in these, in these jobs. And, um, you know, so for, we're going to see, like, I, I guess Calm.com is a great um, solution for some of this stuff, like mm-hmm. trying to now solve, uh, you know, can you help like mental states for people mm-hmm. with, with, with software or systems or, and, and that is also an answer to like lack of community as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're getting very, very, si- individuals are becoming very, very siloed. Yeah. Can, um, yeah. this is a good question that comes to me right now. Can we be in community with technology? I hope so. I mean, if you remember the film Her, um, oh. so the technology starts disappearing and gets goes like it gets hidden away. Mm. So so and and there's a lot of connectivity between people. So I hope that 
um, the technology is an enabler to. So to I'm actually asking, together. can we actually be in connection and community with the technology itself, not oh, not technology oh, okay, mediating okay, yeah. the. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, so I, I guess you're saying like, if the, if does the technology itself become like a conscious mind or an AI or well, a connection? Well, this is or, a, this is an interesting question. Yeah. Is consciousness a prerequisite for community? Because we have we can be in community with dogs, right? Yeah. Dogs give us a certain sense of community, and yeah. they have consciousness, but a different form of consciousness that might be lower, uh, uh, or higher in some cases. Or, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So can can technology is there any instance of technology right now or do you foresee a technology that can provide a certain sense of community for a human being i don't know <laughs> i actually don't know how to answer that question i'm yeah. not i'm not completely sure um say the question one more time okay yeah so and it, it is in the her movie as well yeah. he 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 gets connection from that relationship yeah. with technology yeah so it has been created before in a creative model that's in a movie. And, and that, that, that may not even be a, a conscious mind in that film. It mm. may just be like a preset set of scripts of stuff. Exactly, Let's just say it's yeah. like a very extensive set of scripts, yeah. Mm. And this gets into the Turing question, which maybe is another Turing question, which is, uh, can this technology actually serve a community role that physiologically represents that you can measure physiologically because when you're in connection with another human being particularly with touch or, or something else there are physiological things that happen inside your body that show that yeah. you are i think it can actually because you know if we're saying technology is this vehicle where i can build whatever i want mm. then that that thing could be what is effectively a human mm. and it's like this this getting to some interesting oh we can move on to a bit of biology stuff so yeah. this is an interesting thing of like and we see this with CRISPR being applied now, mm. and a lot of controversial um, things to talk about on that. And we see it with, um, you know, am I allowed to build, like if I 3D printed a human and mm. it didn't come from an embryo, mm. but I printed out every single part and I could get like quantumly entangled states and everything really deep, like this Whoa. amazing like 3D printer. And I didn't do it via, that circumvented all the laws yeah. in terms of, of using like a stem cell or embryo or I, um, IVF or CRISPRing some animals so it shifted get like something you know splice some chim- chimera that came back to a human with their genetic effects if you circumvented all the laws mm. 3D printed out a human like, perfectly you know what's the ownership on that because mm. there's no laws on that so there's no like mm. uh, maybe they would maybe you say that person that that, that thing is a person um, and you know they're, now, they're, they're classified as a person um, and you know a law has not like needed to work on this because no one no one has that te- kind of technology mm. um so I think the there's some interesting questions on the biology side because we know there's a lot of activity now on on um, you know changing animal mm-hmm. um, genetics to incorporate certain human human characteristics mm-hmm. um, to to get products that we need mm-hmm. um, like and organs or something like that. It could be organs. Yeah, it could be adjusting a pig to produce an organ that is more compatible. So you don't have to have a massive organ donor waiting mm-hmm. list and people dying. Um, it could be, you know, modifying um, bulk bloods. Um, it could be, it could be doing all sorts of things that maybe there's like a temporary fix for that humans mm. need. So, so there's some interesting ethical lines on because we already treat animals really bad, mm. and humans treat humans treat um, people pretty badly as well. Mm-hmm. So, so how you know are we entering an interesting realm here of like how many um, like how close does it have to be to a human before mm-hmm. you're going to give it some rights? How close does the AI have to be to like something and i think they're very far away right now but how close does it need to be before mm. you get stuck giving it rights Whoa. yeah 
that's so interesting and brings up a whole bunch of other questions, some of which are like geopolitical. And now I want to go interview people who are in China who speak English and tell me about what is going on in China in terms of these types of things. There was a good MIT uh, China review that had a, a breakdown on, on Chinese uh, technology, it had some of the biotech stuff occurring as well. Uh, and there was that re RISP, uh, the recent uh, CRISPR controversy um, with gene editing of, of humans, which is which I think it's when it's done for done in like a, a careful way with with some oversight and ethical oversight, mm. it, it can be a great thing to like remove certain issues with the body. Mm. Um, it's it's when it's wild wild west and what's happening mm -hmm. um, with unknown consequences for more trivial matters, then mm. then people get pretty angry. Mm. If you're solving something that could be life absolutely life threatening, where the where the trade off of risk is worth it, then then it's worth it going mm. forward. Interesting. And I don't think we should wait on it. Yeah, you don't think we should wait on it? I don't think we should wait. You know, I don't think we should hold up on... I think we should accelerate getting to the crux of the argument mm -hmm. of what we can do and what we oh, can't do right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. and, and it seems like someone goes and does an experiment so blind and everybody has to talk about stuff. We should do, um, have the discussion before that happens. Let's get a bit further ahead in terms of the thinking so that when the technology is getting there, we already have some like reasonable answers. Is there an open AI but for biotech? I mean, it I guess it depends on how you describe that analogy. So yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting one. And any, anyone listening to this should, should uh, message <laughs> oh, yeah, at yeah, the bottom yeah. of the tweet or wherever this is going to be, like uh -huh. throw in your company if you are what that is. Yeah. And I'm not completely sure. I guess that would be OpenAI have put together amazing researchers to, to research the hardest, some of the hardest problems in oh, AI. Okay, yeah. So maybe you could view it from this analogy and, and say, and I'd like to see, see what you were thinking what was mm. on that, like the, some of the smartest people in biology to tackle some of the hardest problems. Mm. And that could be a combination of the ethical sets and the technological sets. I don't know. I guess there's various departments around the world. It's different from it, them all being in a, in a, in a room, mm. like collective that people can join with, with potentially unlimited funding and mm. potentially interesting goals. So how are you thinking? About I was thinking that? of a nonprofit yeah. focused on uh, researching and asking these questions of ethical concerns for bio biotech i mean there are many like ethical bodies that have discussions and mm -hmm. they, i think there's a crispr um conference that people get together and talk about the ethical concerns and they talked about what happened with um with that chinese uh, researcher mm -hmm. um and this stuff is really serious i think at one point china were going to execute him Whoa, and, right. and and mm -hmm. and for, for for breaking lots of the internal rules and, and i don't know where that is right now and where they pull back from that because people are also like no don't do that so it's like where, where do you want to be mm -hmm. um and the yeah, so the there are there are some like, lot. I think there are lots of interesting. I mean, there are interesting ethical questions coming up in the AI space. There's interesting questions coming up in the in the, in the biology space, and and some of this is is about like. Um, there's also the interesting question of governments or groups of powers of people wanting to have power on other people, mm -hmm. wanting to have power on and monopolies on their bodies, on their minds, on reproduction, on um, the ability to create life. Mm -hmm. And, and that is around, if you look at a lot of the laws around these payloads that can create life, that have all this amazing information that can self-replicate themselves into a conscious Whoa. mind, yeah. that is a very interesting and dangerous payload. Mm. <laughs> it's a payload of, of something that can, can be extremely small and have all this data inside it Whoa. that can self-replicate uh. and can be conscious Whoa. and can grow an army and think and attack you and destroy you Violence. and change your ideology or create and love and be um, and do fantastic things. Whoa. So this is why this is why this thing, this what this what this package of information is, and that's why stem cells are interesting to people. And I think that's why people latch onto this and mm. and try to clamp down on that because what we're dealing with here is a is 
is is is is the most powerful thing we probably know about mm. because it's a it's a payload that can go on to produce something like an atomic bomb mm-hmm. or, or, or scale bomb. an army up yeah. mm-hmm. or, or create like a beatnik movie no sorry a beatnik <laughs> like movement in the 60s yeah, it's not all love it can it can do it lots of different it. interesting things so anything that uh-huh. affects that payload and the package around the payload and the modification of the payload mm. um is is something where where we need to be thinking about what what that means like you know how are we going to control how and people want to control it as well because yeah. it's it comes back to power and, and then you get into geopolitical real real politic of essentially now we have a united states in relative decline china in a, in a relative rise russia in a who knows what and multipolar world that now some of these tools i just saw kevin kelly tweeted about um israel taking out a online cyber or a, taking out a in-person cyber unit of hamas in a physical location so they took the online cyber world and they actually in the online cyber world was attacking the Israelis and then the Israelis fought back with real physical missiles uh, against the online so it's like in the same way that online and real world are now mixing for our lives with Google Maps and all these things it's also happening geopolitically so take that into the future you have China you have Russia all are going to develop these things because they're going to be then I mean that's the main reason for a lot of innovation is military uh, military innovation to 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 win to win battles yeah, and and on that we we have kind of two paths like we can take. We can we could all go into competition, have like a Cold War two point mm. and a Sputnik two point on on a bio, in a biological area mm. or an AI area, or we could say, hey, f- fuck all these governments. Let's just bypass this and open source everything mm. and just like work together and yeah. like the um and just get past this stuff and like we're gonna actually you know, cross connect and like do something. We're not going to go into this. Weird, we're not going to lock it, lock horns mm, and go into this weird um, network effect of of, of um, people fighting each other for no reason. Like yeah. we're going to go into a non-zero sum game. We're going to go into positive sum mm. game. I would like to go down that path where mm. we say, hey, like let's actually connect to the Chinese people and say you're my friends. Like, yeah. and let's let's. And I think there's been a, there's been. I don't know whether these effects are, are, are just interesting things that occur. In very large um, networks like Twitter and social media systems that become these expressions and groupings of, of game theory that plays out to pe- and, and creates more polarization and some people might be pushing it that way and some people can try to pull it back to the middle mm-hmm. um, and I, I guess what are the, the antidotes to these potentially um, these groupings these swarm swarmings that are occurring in, mm-hmm. in the nodes on, on this game and and um, I hope with more connections between people iFlyTech has got this real-time translation to Chinese and mm. it's great I've been using it while going to China mm. and I make uh, you can make jokes <laughs> for it and it's real-time and it's super good uh-huh. um, and it's and I think iFlyTech are opening up an office in San Francisco and I just felt a much better connection when I could talk mm. when I could talk to someone that didn't speak English and I didn't speak Chinese and we could talk together through this translation unit so yeah on, on that front like we we still every single person that is listening to this podcast mm. and everybody else has a choice to say no we're not going to go into a, a a cold war we're actually going to reject that we're going to like out we're going to remove um people voting wise that will do this we're going to get people that are going to keep it stable mm. and keep it prosperous for everybody um and sometimes it's, it's very difficult to avoid it and it's natural you know it mm. feels very natural to like fight for your tribe and um but i think we do need to move into we have only only this uh ball this small ball in space uh-huh. <laughs> and it's a very small playing field yeah and it's becoming smaller every single day as mm. transport gets gets faster 
and more people uh, around and we have better you know connectivity to everybody so we, we gotta we gotta sort that out because this is end game yeah there's no more land mm. on this planet right now we're in a gravity well you know people like Elon Musk are hopefully build a, ba- a backup planet for us but mm. we need to sort this one out first because it's terraforming is going to be probably quite hard mm. um and you know, if we can't save species here, is it going to be like, can we pull off terraforming? Maybe, yeah, we should, we should try. But um, so yeah, yeah, this is key for anybody listening. If you believe in free will, then try to build what Jude just talked about that world, because uh, that's that's a world that that I want to see is like somewhere where we can kind of connect. Because as these countries are starting to contract, we can reach out to the human nature in the citizens of the other country and essentially build this this web which was the original intent of the internet too was to be decentralized in a way for people anyone to anyone to connect with anyone else like yeah, yeah. and I, th- I think there's a big problem as well in policies and laws in general in that what is good for people mm. we're not getting mm. we're not getting it mm. we're not getting it on healthcare we're not getting it on pricing we're not getting it on monopolistic control we're not getting this stuff uh, we're not getting on how we spend our tax dollars we're not getting when we don't want to go to war want to go to war mm. sometimes people do um we don't get what we want <laughs> mm. so it's like how can we how can we restructure that and that that might be i don't i mean there's been a big change of like the individual being able to have a voice on on twitter and and, and now anyone can have distribution so if the distribution i think the distribution um curve for people is, is shifting to flatter, but also right at the edges, more mm, extreme. Because mm, like this power law, if yeah. you have 10 million followers, you can you can do a lot. You can set the, you can set the agenda. Yeah. So how that how that curve changes is going to change the the distri- that distribution of power, and that, mm. that also is another problem for us to solve going forward. You know, in, especially in the US, of how how do we get a greater number of people kind of getting what they want, mm. um, and and that's and where need. maybe the technology can lead to a positive sum game, oh. negative sum game. Yeah, and not only what they want, what they need as well. Yeah, what they need. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we've gone over a little bit. This has been amazing, and I want to continue going, but uh, we'll have you on again. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. it's been really fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How can people find out more about what you're done? So they can go to golden.com and they can explore some of the interesting topics on there. Um, and if they're building interesting companies, they can contact me uh, on my email address. Oh, can we go into it a little bit? Uh, I wanted yeah. to ask this question. Yeah. Do you, are, we could go five more minutes. I'm good for time. I, right, I'm, cool. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. So you've invested in 150 com- companies. Have you? I wanted to ask: Have you invested in any biotech companies recently that you can talk about? Yeah, many. Oh. <laughs> and I, the ones that I've done recently, I'm gonna avoid just because I don't know if I can talk, talk about, about them. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can talk about some of the some of the classic ones. Um, and I, oh, I can talk about them in, like, I can skip names as well and just mm-hmm. talk about some of the problem spaces mm-hmm. that people are trying to solve. Because I think that, that's, that's what, what that's what we should, yeah, that's yeah. what people, that's the juicy part. Yeah. So some people are working on um, DNA reading. Huh. So DNA reading currently, uh, one of the biggest companies, you know, Illumina, um, there are bottlenecks there. So can we read DNA faster? Can we read, read DNA with, with fewer errors? Some people want to print DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, some people want to write DNA because mm-hmm. we need DNA. So, so say you're going to, um, do your, your your editing, your CRISPR editing, and you want to inject some gene, well, you need well, to get... Yeah, just <laughs> just light bulb went out of my head of, of what that means. But you can Yeah, so you can write this, you can build the strengths. I mean, if you think about it, it's like putting yeah. these, these base pairs together. Uh, and it's just like, how do you do that efficiently? And that code inside there is, you know, you want to deploy your code from, from your editor mm-hmm. in... Um, and if you look at Benchling, Benchling is that editor in a sense. Um, there is an editor in Benchling to, to do your modifications in there. And then you can actually ship it to companies and they print DNA and then you Whoa. get it back to you. So I, I've got involved in some which will, 
speed up that delivery right now it takes around two weeks so we want to be able to do it overnight ideally we would be able to do it on this phone right now mm. so i'd be like okay i've got a cold i need to get a vaccine i don't have time to go to walgreens i want to you know do do get the um the flu shot right now on my, with my phone mm. like let me download the latest yeah. uh, version of the virus and then you can just shoot um, yourself go and then do it yourself yeah so i didn't i haven't invested that doesn't exist yeah, okay yeah, yeah there are yeah, some components yeah. of that technology that come together like needless injections um, the data side is probably quite transferable. The printing, the printing of the DNA is tough, and then you've got to reincorporate it. There's all these different pieces, and that, there's going to be a map. There's a Cambrian explosion of um, mm. of biotech companies. Mm-hmm. So there are all these interesting biotech companies, and then people came into the game with like one month lead time, two month lead time, uh, sorry, um, two weeks, and then they're getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And then the machines are huge and expensive. Get the machines cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Um, then it's vertical integration. So. What else? There's been like there's very vertical problem spaces as well. There's all these diseases to go solve. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there, there are there are rare diseases to go solve. Uh, there are genetic diseases to go solve. There are um, all sorts of problems, and there are all sorts of measurement technologies. So I got involved with one, which allows you to read um, the microbiome um, specifically for certain problems. So mm-hmm. apparently, you can read with anorexia. You can read the the microbiome and actually detect anorexia at high rate. Because um, uh, the current methods are, are not necessarily super accurate, um, and the you can actually predict it. Maybe um, you can do predictions when the person doesn't even know they have it, Whoa. and and when they when they can't even see the, their own body image, and app could say, "Hey, by the way, you've got a serious issue. Like we, yeah. we need to solve this. Like Whoa. do you want to talk to this counselor?" Um, so that there's there's ways to detect um, diseases with with microbiome. There's, there's some crazy stuff happening with ubiome. I don't know if you saw yes, that. Right, the yeah. feds rated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, rated it and it wasn't you you buying that i backed um mm. and that that was interesting that was a, a double charging issue i think with the insurance companies mm. um and and the yeah so so the microbiome has been an interesting area and it's is it's a growing area then clean clean meats there's one called wild earth mm. um and they are building they are making uh clean animal meat because so i'd heard down the, down in the bay area there was a hu- huge amounts of fish are actually um, taken out the sea just to be minced up for, for dog food mm. and I was like what? Mm. I was like you know because you, you, you're looking at the food in a restaurant and you're thinking okay shall I not have shall I just go completely plant based or vegan and you also think you don't people don't necessarily think oh well the pet food mm. that, that where where uh, all yeah. the rest of the stuff is getting minced up Whoa. so so they want to try and move to um, more Clean sustainable yeah so the, the, there's all these different problem sets inside biology and it's kind of like the start of the software the web 1.0 or web 2.0 where there are all these different i think it's more web 1.0 right mm. now um and we're just at that phase so i've been doing a lot of biology stuff mm. right all, all through i mean sampling in different areas to learn to learn more quickly about the yeah. areas as well mm. yeah so that's part of why you invest is, is to learn more it's to learn more and i want to push the objective forward mm. and i want to learn more about the area because i know the area is interesting as well and and getting into it and, and help the other pieces that i've done mm. so i, I tried to do like a platform strategy for the investment where each each piece could maybe help each other mm. out um, and, and solve some problem as well and raise all like raise all boats in, in the harbor kind yeah. of thing yeah can't well, wait yeah. can't wait to see if we can build this future that you're talking about it'd be pretty cool I think we can do it yeah. um, I think we need to stop giving money and power to people that play negative some games mm. um, yeah. and just start talking about this and just change it and there's enough people that want to improve things mm. yeah cool all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the yeah, show. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Cheers, to have yeah. you on again. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah.
Thanks for tuning into the show. If you liked it, please go ahead and find us on iTunes or Spotify and hit the subscribe button. I'll publish each episode by Monday morning before your commute, so make sure to check in then. And this is a reminder to just own your crazy, because the challenges that this world will be facing over the next hundred years will require us to think way outside the box. As Hunter S. Thompson said, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you.